0: The Holy Gospel, according to St Matthew, the 28th chapter. Glory Glory the Lord. Lord. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, "All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The other day I had coffee with a pastor. We were trying to figure out if we had enough disagreement to make for uh, an interesting podcast episode. It turns out that we did not. We agreed on too much and we decided the episode would be very boring. We did have a few disagreements, though, mainly around the usefulness of institutions in disciple-making. And I realize that may sound very boring in and of itself, but uh, as you are part of an institution that we like to call the church, uh, it does affect you. It does pertain to you, in fact. His church uh, that he sort of oversees, well, it's not really a church model we're probably very familiar with, It's more like a loose kind of network of uh, of house churches. He reminded me again and again that the church is not a place, but a people. And indeed, it is. We have sort of come to use the word church as a kind of combination of a place and the people. For example, we say, uh, I go to so-and-so church. Or, my church is at the corner of Elm and Main. Well, that's kind of because saying the location at which the congregation of which I am a part meets at the corner of Elm and Main is just too wordy. So we've come to sort of combine the understanding of the church, the people, with the place where we happen to gather. But the larger point is that the conventional traditional way of being the church needs to be reformed from time to time, if not overhauled. Buildings can become a ball and chain more than an asset. Preserving the institution can become the goal, not the Great Commission's goal, of making disciples. Pastors' salaries and benefits can become a financial drain and impede mission. Better to be lean, some say, mission-driven, and doing the hard work of discipling those within our sphere of influence rather than becoming a stale, tired, mostly dead, not all the way dead, institution. There is some wisdom and freedom in such a model. And it is 100% true that all institutions have life cycles. Indeed, an organizational life cycle is on average about 75 years before that organization or institution needs to be sort of rethought or rebranded or reborn. But I disagreed that institutions are wholly without merit. The whole point of the institution, any institution, is to pass down knowledge and culture to the next generation, or in the case of the institution of the family, to create the next generation. There are some things that are so important that we need a formalized process to keep them around, even if the cost of such institutionalization is the appearance or even the reality of a slow death. I would argue, for example, that the institution, uh, that as an institution, the church is perfectly capable of making disciples in the same way that other institutions are capable of making doctors or lawyers or engineers or airline pilots or HVAC technicians or carpenters. In each of those disciplines, there is a formal process by which a person, one, receives instruction, two, joins a group of people with that same title, and then three, is likely held accountable by a group of other similarly trained professionals. Why is it then that institutions are seen as useful, albeit far from perfect, in making experts in the fields of law or medicine or the trades But when it comes to Christian discipleship, the institution of the church is often seen as inadequate to do the job. The difference is that we think of lawyers and mechanics as merely possessing the necessary information to do the job, but disciples are seen as people who need an adequate amount of information, but also a lot of enthusiasm. And that's why, by and large, the church has adopted a methodology of enthusiasm and excitement and emotion, because we believe that will be the more successful way to create followers of Jesus. That's why they have light shows and fog machines and, and, and bands and all of that with all of the popular aesthetic. The aesthetic is culturally, it's worldly relevant, it's full of excitement, it's meant to make you laugh and cry. In fact, that's the traditional definition of a good sermon in America. It makes you cry and it makes you laugh. I try never really to do either. I'm trying to teach you, to build you up, to be a disciple, different model. There is certainly more to being a disciple of Christ than possessing a data set Uh, But excitement and enthusiasm are often short-lived, especially when the costs of discipleship are made clear. To be a disciple of Jesus then is not only to be excited about being a follower of Jesus or to be a repository of information. It's to be a whole person, a body and soul, inseparable from God, living for God, Living out the whole counsel of God in every area of life and passing that on to the next generation. Reducing discipleship to either enthusiasm and emotional experiences or to a mere knowledge base are both wrong. But as for what might be especially important for the lifelong pursuit of discipleship, let me put it this way. When you board an airplane or when you need your toilet fixed or when you await the surgeon's scalpel to pierce your skin, do you want them to be merely enthusiastic about what they're doing that day or thoroughly trained and prepared for the mission they are about to embark on? The reality is that we need many models of the church to carry out the mission of the church, of going into all nations and baptizing and teaching everything that Jesus taught. That's our mission. Whenever churches, you know why I don't ever go to the council and say, hey guys, we need to develop a mission statement, because Jesus already gave us the mission statement. It might be somewhat unique in how we carry it out at 1311 Holman, but it's the Great Commission. It's already been given. I'm not going to mess with it. Owning a building and having a website and hoping people just sort of show up is not really a great strategy. I would agree with that. But being too loosely constructed or too lightly bound to other believers can prove ineffective as well. What we have to be honest about, what we in this this gathering here today, what this congregation has to be honest about, is whether or not we are making disciples of Christ. Because if our model is failing in that central message that Jesus gives us to carry out, then we are failing. If this building or the pastor's salary or if our denomination uh, is failing in finding and making disciples of Jesus, then we should be the first people to fire the pastor, to sell off the property, to leave the denomination behind. Of course, I've defended the building and the denomination, and the institution, and I guess, by default, my full-time employment. But are disciples being made here? I don't know that I can really answer that. You need to answer that. Are people here growing closer to Jesus? Are our lives more and more conformed to the way that Jesus would have us live? Some ways to think that through. Are we becoming more familiar with the Scripture? perhaps reading it or listening to it daily? Are we being stewards, good stewards, of what God has given us, living within our means and helping the gospel to be spread? Are we willing to say no if and when we are pressured to abandon Jesus at work or among friends or when we participate in hobbies, like uh, attending Los Angeles Dodgers baseball games, for example? Are we committed to a local fellowship of preserving those institutions that can pass down the gospel from generation to generation? Or is faith more of a side hustle, something that we use when needed, participate in when wanted, and always have in the background in case the truly important things in life don't work out? Jesus' Great Commission in Matthew 28, it's often presented as kind of normal thing. Jesus tells us to go and baptize, go to all the nations. It's really quite radical. Discipleship is not just attending a church or getting baptized. That's just the beginning. And what a joy it is, for example, to baptize uh, Miss Sarah Christian Mushi this morning. But discipleship takes place once the that, that has come and gone. Discipleship is singularly and uniquely focused around the very limited revelation of the one true God, the God who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. Christians reject, or at least ought to reject, any kind of vague spirituality or some kind of many gods or any gods, or same gods idea that make all the gods the same. We baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The name that this one God gives himself, these three distinct persons of God. Well, to recap, who is God? Father, Son, and Spirit. Is he the only God? Yes. How do we know who he is? He has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. What does he want from us? He wants our whole hearts and minds and souls. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Can you be such a disciple in an institution that the world regards as old-fashioned and stale, if not dead? Well, yeah, I think so. It isn't so much about the institution that makes or breaks discipleship. That's on us. We can be and have been disciples in any context, any institution, or any kind of institution, you might say, any nation of any race, speaking any language. It's not a question of can we. It's a question of will we. Amen.